0: Hello and welcome to another episode of South Asian Stories, where we hear from South Asians around the world and uncover their identities, successes, failures, and most importantly, stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I chat with Swathi Thirdala. After graduating from the University of Virginia with a BS in finance and history, Swathi stumbled into the marketing side of the technology industry, but always wanted to explore her writing side. Swathi is the author of the brand new book, The Tiger at Midnight, published by Harper Collins. This is the first book in an epic, heart-pounding fantasy trilogy inspired by ancient Indian history and Hindu mythology. Swathi currently lives in New York City, and she's passionate about many things, including how to make a proper cup of chai, the right ratio of curd to crust in a lemon tart, and diverse representation in the stories we tell. In this conversation, we discuss Swathi's favorite books growing up and her love of storytelling and how it was shaped early on, Swathi's journey to find strong mentors and community that helped her develop as a writer, the exact moment she found out when The Tiger at Midnight was going to be published, and much, much more. Swathi goes deep in what it took to publish her first book, a combination of years of hard work and a little bit of luck. So please enjoy my conversation with Swathi Dardala. Swathi, welcome to South Asian Stories.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here.
0: We're very excited to have you on man we I don't think we've had a author um who has just released a book on the show, so this is a new territory for us, and we're really excited uh to 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 talk today and hear more about your book and 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 hear about your background
1: yeah i'm I'm so excited to be here.
0: So let's let's jump right in, and I'd love to talk a little bit uh, about your childhood. Can you talk to us about where you grew up and what your childhood was like?
1: Yeah, sure. So I actually um, I grew up in in Dallas um, in a suburb called Plano, and i I was a voracious reader since I was a kid, um, and I, I grew up in a. In a pretty vibrant Indian community, and I spent a lot of my time, kind of immersed in not just Indian culture, but um, also learning the stories of Hindu mythology, and that really influenced um, a lot of like where I ended up right now, uh, you know, becoming a writer. But um, I grew up it, kind of immersed in that culture, and, and an avid reader of books, and. Um, yeah, I eventually, our family ended up moving out to Northern Virginia, but I kind of never lost that that passion for uh, creativity. Um, it ended up kind of manifesting in different ways, everything from, you know, dance to music, uh, but writing and reading was always really important to me. However, <laughs> once I got to about high school, um, and I'm sure a lot of people can, can understand this, um, I started to lose touch with the you know, my imagination and with my creativity. And a lot of other things just seemed a lot more important, like getting into college and figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And um, yeah, that's a, a really quick, really quick snapshot.
0: Yeah. So let's go back. You said that you were an avid reader growing up. Can you remember what your first memories of reading or a book that got you really excited?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I so I think one of the first chapter books I remember I still remember to this day absolutely loving was The Fantastic Mr Fox I believe it was called.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Yeah, and also I used to read a lot of Twinkle comics. Um, so we would whenever we would go to India, my parents would get me a whole bunch of them. So those stories and Amrit Tharakadas, all of those, those oh, were the yeah? things I really kind of grew up reading.
0: The original Hindu mythology comic book, man, love those things.
1: Exactly.
0: Did you ever read like, um, like I feel this was my only thing I would read in India because it was the only thing available I'd read a ton of Tintin and Asterix and Obelix and Archie comics like those were my go-to's when I was in India <laughs>
1: Yeah, I read a lot of Archie. I actually did not read a lot of Tintin um, or any of those comics, but my mother used to love them, and she yeah. uh, I she grew up reading a ton of it.
0: I think it's because they're all my mom's old books that were still with my grandmothers that I was just like, okay, nothing else to read. I'll just check this out.
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that was always me. I was always sneaking around in people's libraries and pulling out their old books.
0: Yeah. So, okay, you started reading early, and was there... Um Were you writing as well, like on the side, or was it just mainly reading and just trying to pour through as many books as possible?
1: Yeah, so I didn't actually start writing until I think I was maybe 10. Okay. Um, I, I tried to like journal a little bit in elementary school, and you know I wrote little stories in the classroom, but it wasn't until I read this one series. Um, it was called The Song of the Lioness, and it was a quartet of books that one of my friends introduced me to, and it was my first foray into fantasy. Um, I read those books, and I was instantly obsessed. It was about this girl who uh, takes her brother's place uh, to become a knight, and she pretends to be a boy. And, as you can imagine, shenanigans ensue, and you know, she she learns magic and sword fighting, and it was it was really exciting for ten year old Swathi. Uh, yeah. so I was yeah, <laughs> I was absolutely obsessed with those books. and um as a result, that kind of made me interested in writing and I was. it made me feel like maybe I could try something of my own. And that was probably the first time I wrote fanfic. And from there I started to write more, but I never really took it very seriously. Why not? I think because I didn't think it was something, I didn't know it was something I could take seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed just like kind of a fun pursuit. You know, I didn't know any writers. Um, I didn't know any Indian authors or, it wasn't really a career path that anyone talked about or um seemed possible. I literally thought my books kind of just magically appeared. I knew there was authors, but I didn't know that they were real people. Yeah. So, for the longest time writing felt very frivolous to me.
0: Yeah, and I think that's such a beautiful way to say it because this is the reason we love having people like you on the show because so many people realize that hey, I can do something that's different from the norm, especially people who are South Asian and Indian. Like, that's what the, the goal of this podcast is, and is to just to highlight and underscore people like you who are, who realize, like, hey, this could work for me. So, I'd love to explore that, that notion more. So, you get to UVA um, and you said, hey, I really want to get to college. My, I lost my love of reading or that side of me in high school. What changed? Like, how did that come back in your life?
1: It wasn't until the end of college, actually. I okay. think once I kind of knew that I would be okay and I would have a job and I would be able to take care of myself, I kind of eased up on the pressures I'd always put on myself for my career, and I was able to kind of go back to who I really was, and I and also I, used, I was on a dance team in college, and so when that kind of ended, I remember there was a couple of months where I, I didn't really know what to do with myself. I'd always had some sort of creative outlet. Um, it wasn't always writing. It was some, maybe music or dance, but there was always something. Mm-hmm. So I remember that being the first time where I actually went back to reading and reading at the same level as I used to as a kid. Uh, I mean, that, that wasn't sustainable when I was in high school and college. If I read as much as I did as a kid, I would literally never get anything done. Um <laughs> But in those those months before I started my first job, I, I remember reading so much more and kind of falling back in love with books. And um, in particular, I started to uh, start reading fantasy again, and I started reading historical fiction and all these different um, all these different genres. And I just kind of rediscovered that love. Um, it wasn't quite until I think it was my second job um, when I moved to New York City and I was kind of where I wanted to be um, career wise and. I realized that something was still missing. I was still a little unhappy or, you know, I didn't feel completely fulfilled. And that's when I started writing again. Um, I had been trying new creative things. Um, I took a graphic design class. I, I work in marketing at a tech startup. So not totally far off, but I was trying new things. And then I remember just asking myself one day, why not get back into writing? Why not finally write that book that you always wanted to write? Probably nothing will happen, but it will be a really good project for me to kind of have an outlet and and refuel myself a little bit more. So that's kind of how I got started writing more seriously.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a cool story. And I like how you, you know, always had a creative outlet. And then when you moved to New York City, you're trying these different things out. And it's almost like you went back to the basics. You said, hey, I'm... I love reading, I, I love writing, and this is something that provides me so much fulfillment. Let me try this. But I think where a lot of people who have the similar feelings where they say they can do it is taking the first step. So what was that first step for you where you said, okay, I want to write this book that's always been in my head. What do I do first?
1: Yeah, I'm actually trying to remember what I did. Um, but you know, knowing me, I probably started by Googling things. <laughs> I am like... I research a lot. I am um, you know, all about input and more knowledge. So I, if I can remember correctly, I think I just started out, I literally Googled, how do you write a book? <laughs> and I Step went from one. There. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I read as much as I could. But then I also just, you know, one of the biggest tips uh, that I kept reading over and over again from all these different sources was just to get started, to do something. You can't work with an empty page and you know, it doesn't matter if it's absolutely horrible, just write something. So I just wrote, I think I just started to you know, free write. And then eventually I wrote this idea I'd had since I was a kid, but never kind of took seriously. And it wasn't good at all. <laughs> but it was, you know, once I started writing and once I kept writing, um, it, it kind of proved to me that I could do it. And then after that, it was just a matter of, you know, figuring out the right way to do it.
0: Yeah. That's great, and was that idea? Was that the premise of the Tiger at Midnight, or was that something else?
1: No, it was not the premise of the Tiger at Midnight. So it's a entirely different premise, um, and it was the first book I had ever written. So the Tiger at Midnight was the second book um, I drafted, and you know the the first idea I was all. It was totally un- unready. It was not prepared, and it was not quite, you know, I didn't quite know how to execute on it. I think the idea is still probably probably has some merit, but maybe sometime in the future I'll try it again. But, um, yeah, it was it was not this book.
0: Okay, so tell us about The Tiger at Midnight, because I know this is the one that uh, j- that just published uh, in, in April. How did this come about? What was the inspiration behind this? Talk to us a little bit more about that.
1: Sure. So the tiger at midnight is. Um, it was a book that came to me when I was actually traveling. I was at this old fort um, and I was just kind of wandering around. And um, I remember looking out of a window and I, I got this image and this, this kind of voice in my head. And um, it was this character who was a soldier. And I remember asking myself, okay, if I were the soldier, and I was looking out of this window and. and long ago, way back when, what would be one of the things I could see that would either terrify me or would make me leave my post? And I remember thinking, it could be a girl. And and then that, that was kind of the idea where I, I really... That's where the, the Tiger and that came from is that that one image, and it ended up actually being the first page in the novel, in the first scene. Um, and from there I just kind of, I couldn't let go of that idea and I started building it out. And, um, you know, a quick pitch of what The Tiger Midnight is about. It's a uh, it's a fantasy, a young adult fantasy set in a fantastical ancient India. And it's about uh, Kunal, who is a dutiful soldier, um, a nephew to the the famed general of the Red Fort. And um, it's also about Isha, who moonlights as a legendary rebel called the Viper. So uh, one night, when the Viper is framed for the murder of the general, um, their paths cross and a kind of chain of events unfurls. And when Kunal is tasked with hunting down the killer of, um, of the general, a, a cat and mouse game starts between Kunal and Isha, um, the soldier and the rebel legend. And um, things happen from there and, and a lot of events unfurl and they're, and they're forced to kind of come to terms with the stories they've told themselves about the um about the other country and the other side of the war so that is my not very good pitch (laughs) but um,
0: that sounds really cool that sounds like it's gonna be a netflix special soon
1: (laughs) you know what fingers crossed but um i that the story came to me in that one image really and from there i just kind of kept working on it and and thinking through it and trying to understand these characters and um and when I got back home, I just started writing it and I finished the first draft in, in a couple of months. And from there, I just kept revising it and revising it. Um, and I was lucky enough to be picked for a, a, a small mentorship program. And I got a great mentor, Axie O, who, um, also has a, a beautiful book out called Rebel Soul. And she really kind of helped me find the heart of the story and, um, I was able to really grow as a writer and and learn how to to get to that um get to that level where I felt like I was telling the right story and I, you know, I revised enough. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, I started writing the book.
0: So there's a lot to unpack there, which I think <laughs> is so cool. So you said you, um, you started writing the book and then you got into this mentorship program. Um, where did you feel that you were like a writer before and after? Like, what did you learn from um, your mentor that helped you develop as a writer? Like, is there anything specific you can, you can tease out?
1: Yeah, so this mentorship program um, is kind of totally unofficial. All of the authors who volunteer are, um, they're dedicating their time, and it wasn't official, not it wasn't part of a, a school or anything like that or, or any graduate program. So the biggest thing I learned was, first of all, how important and how vital having a community of writers is. Mm-hmm. Um, and through this program and through other programs, um, on Twitter or on other community uh, websites, I was able to discover um, other writers out there. And, and that was a big part of my growth is meeting these authors. Uh, becoming critique partners with them, and a, a critique partner is someone who you might swap your materials with your your pages with, and you both read and kind of give each other feedback and and help each other figure out the core of your story. And that was a huge part of me becoming a better writer, even a writer of any kind, is working with all these generous people who you know so unselfishly gave their time to help read my material and help me grow. Um, so that was number one. And number two, I would say um, my mentor actually, she really helped me understand story structure. I think that's a big thing. Um, everyone knows story structure. I would say every single person on this planet kind of intuitively gets story. Um, that's why when you watch a movie and you, you walk out and you feel like it was unsatisfying, there's probably something in the way that the story was told or structured that didn't quite hit. Um, and so it's that intuitive knowledge is there but what i really needed to do is understand how to use that um to to write a better story and so she really helped me with that and really helped me kind of um hone into what was important what wasn't
0: so what do you think you were doing incorrectly or at least not incorrectly but you could have done better in your first draft that you said hey wait maybe i should adjust this
1: sure so i think there was a lot of things honestly um Number one, I, I needed to understand my characters. And, and I think plot and story comes from your characters, and, um, at least you know, in, in an ideal situation. So number one, I had to understand them. Who are they? Where do they come from? What is this world that they're in? And, and how would they react in these situations? I think it's really easy to sometimes superimpose yourself um, into something you may be writing. But number one, I needed to understand my characters and really get into that. And um, that I don't know necessarily if I'd done that incorrectly, but I hadn't done it to the depth that the story required. And um, I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned. And that also helped me um, help me structure the story and 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 have a plot <laughs> in a right. way that made sense.
0: Um, and the other thing I want to ask you, Swathi, is that you know when we hear famous writers and hear like what their inspirations for a lot of their book you know is of course an original work of art just like yours but it has influences or models from other great books or types of stories that you just gravitate to is the tiger at midnight based or inspired by any of the books you read as a child or just growing up that you just love that you that are you know integrally part of your of you know you writing this book?
1: Yeah, I think in in there's a bunch of influences for the Tiger at Midnight and also for the the entire Tiger at Midnight trilogy. Oh, it's um, a trilogy. So, so this is yeah. book one. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, cool. it's book one of a trilogy. Yes. So book one um, is heavily influenced by some of the some of the first books I read when I was right out of college. Um, I I dove into this what ended up being a new new category of books called young adult, and young adult. I mean, I think when you kind of reduce it to its basic level, people will say, "Oh, that's just Twilight or Hunger Games," but it's really not. It, what it is, it's 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 a category that's focused in on that kind of coming of age part of your life. So. Mm-hmm. For me, that's probably anywhere from eighteen to thirty-five. <laughs> like you don't quite know who you are for a long time, yeah. um, and so yeah, diving into young adult and in particular young adult fantasy, which allowed um, a lot more focus on um, main characters who were who were girls. That um, that really heavily influenced me, and I, I found that I wanted to tell a story that explored characters. Who were at that age and, and had a lot to deal with, and, and even kind of unpack some of my own questions I had about my identity when I was, you know, younger. So one of the books that really influenced me was it's called *An Ember in the Ashes* by uh, Sabah Tahir and it's an incredible book. It's part of a quartet, um, and I highly recommend anyone um, who who enjoys kind of fast-paced adventure and, and high stakes and romance and you know anything fun <laughs> to go read. <laughs> All the, the best book.
0: parts of a book, basically
1: exactly she's an incredible storyteller um, that book was one really inspired me because it's the first time I saw brown characters in a fantasy yep and they were main characters not even side characters they they ran the show and I remember thinking oh I could I can tell the stories that I grew up with I I can see myself in fiction I can write myself in fiction and that was huge so that book changed so much for me and um, as for the the tiger admit I in, particular, I pulled a lot of the world building from the Hindu mythology I grew up with. So um, one myth in particular is, you know, when Ganga was brought down um, from the heavens, and in kind of, I, I kind of modified the myth a bit, but using that myth, and then the idea of Just in general, the old ancient stories we grew up with, or I grew up with, uh, like the Mahabharata and these noble kings and Mm -hmm. um, fierce warriors. And I wanted to bring that kind of aesthetic, for lack of a better word, into the story. And I think book two does that. You see that a lot more. But in general... Uh, even everything down to the clothing that um, they wear in the book. I I did a lot of research on ancient Indian history, uh, but I pulled so much from the stories I grew up with. And um, I really, I think that heavily influenced the way I thought about even the theme of the book, which is um, about duty, really.
0: Yeah. Dharma. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I, I think that your point on identity and the, the able to have people like the Ember and the Ashes author that really inspires you to be like, Hey, I can do this, or I can see myself, or I can create characters that look, feel, and talk like me. Um, and I think that's such, such a big thing about this podcast that is the influence of I, or the inspiration of identity. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about, your identity as, you know, an author, a writer, storyteller, but you have so many other parts of your, of, of your life. How did you, or did you ever feel like, hey, I'm an author first, or I am a marketer first, or, or how did the, in, the, the impact of identity have on you when you were writing this book? Because sometimes I feel, like doing something as big as writing a, a, a huge novel or a trilogy in your in your case, it's a big undertaking. And sometimes it requires a shift in identity where I say, hey, I'm good enough or I can do this thing. Like, can you talk a little bit about that for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think imposter syndrome is huge. <laughs> right. I, right. Yeah, and it's a thing I think all writers go through, but it's a little bit more keen when – you might be South Asian you might never have seen anyone who had done something like this before. Um, the lack of not even a role model, but the lack of literally anyone, um, who, you know, you know, personally who may have had this kind of career choice, right. it's definitely impacted the way I think about my work and, and what I, what opportunities I go after and, and, um, you know, how I structure even, you know, the way I work, um, there's a lot of unknowns, and that's a little scary. And I struggled to ever, well, not ever, but <laughs> I struggled for a long time to identify myself as a writer. Right. It didn't feel there, I didn't know what that, at what point could I call myself a writer? Is it, and now I will firmly 100% say if you write and you enjoy writing and it feels like it's part of who you are, you are a writer, 100%. Mm-hmm. But then it felt, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And it was definitely kind of confusing for me. Um, and even as, you know, as I would like to think a good, you know, Indian daughter and um, friend and part of the community, I didn't really know how to bring up the fact that I was writing or that I was querying to get a, a literary agent or that I was, sub- you know, once that had happened, I was working with my agent to submit my book to publishing houses because that language in that context of what it takes to get a book published doesn't didn't exist with the people I knew or with my family or with my friends. Sure. And a lot of it became through educating others, I started to own my identity a little bit more as a writer because I had so much fear around it. I thought, you know, people are going to think I'm silly or, you know, no one's going to think that, like, it's worth it to be a writer, but, you know, it's so important to me. How do I explain this to people? And the the beautiful thing was that most people were so welcoming and so excited for me. And um they had so many questions and because I was able to talk about it, I was able to start owning that identity a bit more. But it was definitely a process. And even now, um when someone says you're an author, I'm like, wait, who? Me? <laughs> you're talking to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, you mean the person over there? Nah like
0: <laughs> That's great. No, I think that's such a cool point. And um how was it more for you, Swathi, like learn as you go because you said you didn't have anyone to teach you. Like how did you go about finding an agent and su- submitting to uh these publishing houses? Did you just like read a bunch of blogs and and hope for the best? Like tell us about that process.
1: Yeah, I as I mentioned I'm a huge Googler. <laughs> so right. I Googled a lot. And Google was your best friend. A hundred percent, yeah. And I will say that, you know, you gotta kinda take the information you get on Google with a grain of salt. But the community that I kind of uh, talked about before was huge in this. Like, they were so welcoming and making those connections, talking to people, um, was really a, a critical part of me moving into moving forward on my journey. So, number one, yes, I did as much research, research as I possibly could. I read everything I could get my hands on. Um, but then I also started to make friends and, and real connections with people. And through that, I started to understand more the, the the nuances of, you know, publishing and all of these things. And there is, especially for young adult literature, there is a really strong community out there. And there's a strong, strong community of diverse creators as well. And, you know, there's a whole kind of movement of diverse creators who are trying to prop up other uh, marginalized voices and um, really make sure that the the youth are the, you know, the teenagers of the next generation are able to read more stories that that reflect their identity and represent them. So being able to be part of that was a huge part of me even understanding how to move forward in publishing. And a lot of those people took me under their wing or, you know, became some of my best friends to this day. And that's a huge part of how I was able to to learn more.
0: And I think that's such a great point I want to highlight is the power of meeting people and Knowing that you can go on doing it on your own, right? There's only so much point where, uh, you know, I'm the same way you can Google, but that's at the next level. And was what you did is like, I need people to be in my corner and, and the power of getting those people and, and meeting them, I think is extremely important. So I'm, I'm really, really glad you did that and it worked out so well. Um, I'd love to shift gears and, and I want to paint the picture of what, writing this book was like so can you talk to us a little bit about how you wrote this book because I think what people I know our listeners would love to hear is like what it was like to write this like were you in a coffee shop were you in your apartment in New York City were you on your laptop were you jotting notes freehand like what was it like writing this book
1: sure so I um I think when I first started writing I didn't really have a process or or anything of that sort quite yet. I would write whenever I had the time. I would write in the mornings. I would write when I got back from work. I would write on the weekends. And that could be any that that was kind of everything from writing at my desk in my in my bedroom to going to a coffee shop. Um, Now I have a, a much more kind of concrete process. I wake up every morning and I dedicate a couple hours to writing in the morning before I go to work. And that's, I found is the best time for me. Um, it's it's kind of when you wake up, at least for me, I'm a, I'm a total morning person. So when I wake up, my mind is kind of totally fresh and I can dive into writing and, and know that I'm doing something for myself That's that I um, might not want to do when I come back and I'm exhausted at the end of the day. And a huge part of that, when I initially started out, was um, building that time and finding that time. So I was very careful about prioritizing, you know. The time I needed to write. And it was a combination of just kind of, you know, sitting at my laptop and and writing out words and, and ideas and, and a little bit of kind of um, freehand. But I mostly tend to be, um, I mostly tend to write on like really large notepads where I like scribble my thoughts out in the beginning. Oh, really? Start to get an Yeah, I start out that way. Um, that's where I kind of get that. Ideas down, it feels a little less concrete, a little less like I'm wedded to one specific way to tell the story. Sure. And I try and find um, the the beats and like the emotional core. And from there, I um, I'm actually a huge user of Google Docs. And most people I know are like, why do you why do you write in Google Docs? And I have a reason for it. And basically, I like to be able to access my stuff wherever. And being kind of a tech geek, um, the cloud is the one way that I will never lose my stuff. <laughs> And, exactly like, you always right. hear, yeah, you always hear horror stories. So that was actually a huge part of my process initially is that like I didn't, I didn't have a writing process. I didn't really take myself seriously enough to be like, hey, people around me in my life, I need all these hours to work on this. Uh, so I would write wherever and whenever I could. And, you know, working through Google Docs really helped me do that.
0: That's perfect. That's really cool. And I, I'm a big user of Google Docs too, as well. And, uh, it has changed my life because I'm like, Hey, I want to lose this file. And if I want to pull this up on my phone or my laptop or at work, um, it's just, yeah, ease of use. Google Doc, if you're, if you're listening, I hope you can sponsor this podcast <laughs> for, <laughs> for both of us. Um, talk to us about how the the whole process took. So from beginning to end, how long did it take to, to go from your initial idea to, um, publishing?
1: Sure. So my first draft of The Tiger at Midnight, um, I wrote that in the summer of 2016. And I'd written a book or two before then. So at this point, I, I had a little bit more confidence in my writing. And when I dove into revisions, I I knew what I kind of needed to do. And it was just a matter of getting there. And I ended up revising that book for about nine months and as I mentioned with my mentor Axie and um, then I participated in this Twitter pitch competition called DV Pit and what DV Pit is basically um, it it is for marginalized creators and diverse voices and it's what it's like a eight-hour Twitter pitch competition on um, on like a single day for different categories and you you pitch the um, the premise of your book within Twitter's character limits, which I cannot remember at the moment. I think it's like one twenty-five or something. Um, actually, I, I actually pitched back when they they hadn't expanded it, so it was even shorter, <laughs> um, which was fun. <laughs> it, it's actually really difficult to pitch your pitch your novel in in, in that short of a space. But um, I had seen this competition happen, you know, six months prior, and I remember. Knowing at that point that my book wasn't ready, but I, I made it kind of a goal. It's like, I want to participate in DB Pit. Um, I have met so many great people from this community, and I, I think it's going to be a really great opportunity for me. So I worked towards that, and I pitched um, and ended up getting a lot of interest from different agents. So I sent off query letters um, to those agents. And one great part about Pit is it kind of truncates that initial process of getting agent interest. For most people, um, the normal querying process is you send off a query letter, which is a very specific format of how you pitch your book um, to agents, and then they will respond to you in their own time. And that can be anything from two days to a year and a half. Um, (laughs) That's just kind of publishing for you. Everything is kind of like hurry up and wait. Um, but DV Pitt truncates that initial process because, you know, if you're querying these agents that they're interested in the premise of your novel. So that helped a lot. And, um, within a couple of weeks I got my first offer and, um, you know, a week or two after that, I had a couple more and I was able to pick my agent, um, the absolutely wonderful Kristen Nelson. And she, with her, I ended up revising a couple more times throughout the summer and we went on submission in um, the fall of 2017. And um, shortly afterwards, I got super lucky and um, got two great offers and ended up um, going with HarperCollins. And um, yeah, so now that I'm actually talking about it, it all happened very quickly. And I will just add the caveat that that is not the norm. <laughs> it's not usually how it goes and I got very lucky about, you know, the timing of a lot of these things.
0: Well, it's honestly like um, you know, um I love that quote. It's like uh, it took you it took you 10 years to be an overnight success, right? And like yes. b- you it did happen quickly for you, but people don't see like below the iceberg of how much work and and how much you've been in this field since you were a kid, right? Like you've been technically an author or a voracious reader for as long as you can remember. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of your success can be, um, you know, attributed to, would you agree?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great way to look at it. And I think that is really important for people to understand and for writers to understand. Like I have to tell myself this, it's really easy to look at people who become, you know, overnight successes. Um, and, like even even JK Rowling, who is, I think, one of the most popular examples of this, she had been working on Harry Potter. She had been working on that idea and plotting it out for I think about seven years before she put um pen to paper. So a lot of these stories are, you know, living with you for much longer, or you know, your the preparation is there with you much longer, like you mentioned. And I definitely think that's true. Um I'd kind of been thinking about stories and imagining stories since I was very little.
0: Right. That is so cool, man. Um but I would also love to hear the uh, emotional side of it. Like tell us about the ups and downs. I mean, I'm sure one of the big successes and triumphs is like hearing back from um your literary agent. Like how did that feel when you got that first email or call from her? Um can you talk about talk to us about from from an emotional standpoint what that was like?
1: Yeah, that I still remember I was actually walking home from work when I got my call from my agent that I got the first offer on the tiger at midnight and the first time around I went to voicemail and I I remember just like having a feeling and I was like okay I gotta check my phone I you know nothing probably happened you're like totally overeager let me check my phone and I got a, a voicemail and then I called her back and I could it was like my, my heart was literally beating out of my chest at that point. Cause I didn't I had a lot of hope, but I was also I'm very much, I like to think, a practical person. And I knew so many talented writers who had been slogging away for a long time um to, to become published authors. And I I was I was prepared to maybe not even sell this book and to have to keep on working and to keep trying, but I knew I could do it and I knew I would do it. So when it actually happened it felt like this huge weight was lifted oh in one God. way. Yeah, yeah, and it was just a moment. I remember feeling very, very emotional. You know, obviously, but sure. I part of it was also that I had sold this particular book, and it was it was not a book that shied away from my cultural identity. It wasn't trying to kind of like whitewash it at all and a lot of publishing can be very white (laughs) and a lot of times storytellers diverse storytellers feel the need and the pressure to to make their stuff their story more palatable for a more like a general audience so I think that is changing by leaps and bounds now but there's always that little voice in your head that's like well you know maybe it's too Indian maybe it's too other and so a, a huge part of that weight was just that I felt accepted in a way. If I'm being totally, totally honest here, um, it was a moment of just like pure acceptance. where I was like, "Oh, I did this thing," yeah. and it wasn't just me. It was it was all of me. You no, know? yeah. so that was that was really cool.
0: That is so cool. Like you had almost like a point of validation where you know me and my culture can stand and be and you know someone who doesn't come from where i am can appreciate and buy my idea in a way that is just man i that is so cool for you i'm so so happy and not only just for you but for the, all the people who are like us or in the same community as us who want to be at this point right this is probably you know a seminal moment where you're like well, okay if she can do it then all these other people behind me or ahead of me who haven't had the same break can do it as well man um that is so cool. Can you talk to us about Swathi? Um, what it was like to finally see the book in a bookstore? Like, were you like walking down the street and seeing it in Barnes and Nobles or seeing it on Amazon? Like, what what was that like?
1: It was crazy. Yeah. I I really I honestly didn't believe it the first time. Um, I remember getting my finished copies and thinking, "Oh, okay, this they're, these are so cool. It's they're beautiful. Like, I'm so like happy and grateful." For this moment, but seeing seeing it in a bookstore like it was something else. So I I actually on my release day I, I walked into a Barnes and Noble, fingers crossed, hoping I would see just one copy of my book anywhere. And I ex- I actually ended up having like there was a bunch of my copies out um, as part of this like new releases um, stand, and I I like literally could not stop smiling, and it was like it was so surreal. Uh, I it was just. Yeah, I think surreal is the best way to describe it, but um it felt very very much like like a completion to a lot of the journey that I had been on. And like I remember walking into bookstores as a kid and and it was actually kind of a joke in my family. Like literally, I was not allowed in bookstores because I would spend I could spend hours in there and like no one would be able to find me and then they would all leave and, and then I'd run around be like, where is everyone? Um, <laughs> and or like they would get really, really bored and be like, Swathy, can we please go? Right. So walking into a bookstore that I I used, like the bookstores that I loved as a kid and still love um, and seeing my book, that was, that was uh, the pinnacle. <laughs> oh
0: man. Yeah, that must have, everything came full circle at that point. I'm curious to know like, what was the conversation like Swathi with your family like your your parents um I've seen you grown up and you know they I'm sure they as any south asian parent they had you know love and support but they were just like Swathi are you sure you want to write this or you know what was that like that conversation before and after
1: Yeah I actually preempted my first conversation with my parents about <laughs> writing um I was like hey I'm I'm writing I actually didn't really tell them until that I had something more concrete, which I think a lot of people might get. Um, I wasn't gonna just like be like, "Hey, I'm just writing for fun." It was more like, "Hey, I I think I could get an agent soon, and by the way, I like have been writing, and I wrote like two books already." <laughs> um, that was a moment where I kind of told them, and I kind of kind of I kind of took that moment to state my goal, which was I want to be published, and of course that you know the second thing I said right after that was, I'm not quitting my job, don't worry. Yeah. Just in um, case
0: you were thinking about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I remember my, my mom was like, I'm not worried. We think you're fine. That's great. Like you have always and I I still remember this and I think I, I even wrote it in my acknowledgments. Um my my parents I've always been very loving and supportive, but I think you grow up knowing that there are certain paths that are more accepted and when you get older, despite then understanding that really life is not a guarantee and nothing kinda of guarantees success or happiness or any of that, you still kinda of hold on to some of those notions. So I remember preempting and then um having to be like, don't worry, like I might be nothing, whatever, like we'll see. But in my heart, I was like, no, I really, really want to do this thing. <laughs> and my, I think my mom was able to see through me. And she was like, you you told me when you were five you wanted to be an author. And I was like, really? I did? She's like, yeah. You, you've you always wanted to write. And I'm not surprised you're doing it now. And I think it was just that a really simple kind of moment where she was like, yeah, you're doing it. Cool. I'm not surprised. You're going to do great. And it was just that, like, belief Two thumbs in me, up, right? Yeah, yeah. I... Um, it was it was just like a moment I haven't forgotten and it meant a lot to me then because I was like oh okay that's that was a lot better than I had expected right
0: right and sometimes I think about that too Swati where the conversations you are most nervous about or you're um, have anxiety over are usually mostly in your head where you kind of convince yourself out of things and and, or not out of things, but you think they're going to go worse than they are. And then when you do it, you're like, wow, that went much better than I expected, right? That was pretty okay. And I think, um, that's a clear example of what happened to you. And you just feel so much better once it's off your chest and you can talk openly about it. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Cool. So, um, we're reaching the, the last uh, quarter of the episode, so I'd love to switch gears to our rapid fire questions. And again, these are questions that we've asked all our guests on the show, and we've got some very, very interesting responses to. So I'd love to ask you these questions. Um, so first of all, I'd love to see, is there a purchase that you have made in the last six months or so of $100 or less that has most improved your life?
1: Yes, so um, <laughs> this is not a particularly uh, exciting purchase, but I I finally bought a a wireless keyboard that's ergonomic <laughs> and oh, cool. like, a, a, like a vertical mouse, and literally life changing, like game changing. I um, because I also you know I work a day job and that's another eight hours in front of a computer typing. Um, I have started sometimes I get wrist pain and like that. That, you know, not fun. So the, the keyboard actually has literally changed my ability to to work and, and write and, you know, not be in pain. So it's that has really improved my life.
0: That is so cool. And can you share the certain brand or model that you purchased that you like?
1: So I think I just bought um, Logitech for both. But there are some really great ergonomic keyboards out there. There's one that's even kind of split. And it's like the perfect it, – and it's weird because – you're not used to typing on a split keyboard. And so I haven't quite transitioned over to that, but that was supposed to be kind of, you know, the next level, but just simple Logitech.
0: Got it. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Next question for you, Swathi. When you think of a South Asian person that you look up to, what would you say comes to mind and why it can be an author or just a person of inspiration. But when you think of someone in, in our community, who would you say and why?
1: So I would I would have to say, especially now, I think Hassan Minaj has become kind of kind of my what I would say is it's kind of a role model in how to how to navigate being an important person in media. Um like he I think he does this beautifully, like especially with the Patriot Act and um using his voice to uplift others, I think that's been something he's done so so masterfully, and and I love that he took his platform and did something important with it. And he, you know, he still puts his own spin on it. He's still doing the work he loves. He's you know funny. Um, he talks about his sneakers, <laughs> but he's also you know really shining light on important things. And to me, I think. I've always been someone who eventually I'd love to figure out how I can impact the world in some way that is similar. Like how do I uplift other stories and up, uplift other voices so um, so that they have kind of a chance to to be in the spotlight and to for other people to kind of see them. And I think he does that really well. So recently especially um, I've become really obsessed with the Patriot Act and um, he's been someone I have been kind of keeping an eye out for
0: yeah i totally agree and i completely agree with the sentiment that he doesn't shy away from being south asian but also being you know a comedian in this world we live in like some of the jokes he made i'm like do other people like understand what that joke was about because i thought it was hilarious but uh but he doesn't shy away from it like and i just i just love that about him how we can balance both being you know indian muslim and american all at once and just do it so beautifully
1: Yeah. And he does it in a way that I don't think, you know, and no shade to any of the other great South Asian um, people in entertainment, but I think he, he does it in a way that's really authentic and he's not afraid. And speaking as someone who was definitely afraid to write my, my identity into my work initially, he does it, he does it in a way that's so authentic and real, but like I don't know. He he's the first person I think who's ever really done that. Just like like you said, tell jokes that maybe no one else gets, but like it's important for him and it's it's relevant to him, and that's just who he is. Right. And I really respect that.
0: Right. No, for sure. Um, cool. So the the next question I have, and this is a big question, and I'm very very curious to hear your response to, is if there is an up and coming South Asian. Who is interested in being an author and writer, just like you? What is the best piece of advice you would give them, or and or what isn't a piece of advice that's not common knowledge that you think would be important to share?
1: Yeah, um, I would say just get words down. Number one, like if you, in particular, if you want to be a writer, I would say don't worry about all the other stuff. Just write and just keep writing and. And don't stop. I think the biggest thing is that a lot of people, they have these great ideas and goals, but you know sometimes you need to be able to keep going even when it gets tough. And publishing as an industry is very tough. It can be it can be very it can be really soul deadening in some ways. Cause writing and, and telling stories is very much you putting a part of yourself out there. And there's a lot of rejection in publishing, um, and being able to pick yourself up and to keep going and to keep writing, I think is number one. Um, just, you know, be resilient and, and believe that your stories are important. Um, that's a little bit more like a emotional advice, but I think practical advice would be get yourself into communities, get, get feedback, talk to other writers and, um, Read other writers' works and don't don't live in a vacuum. Make sure that you are constantly interacting with words, with other writers, and and with stories. and And break down every story that comes your way. Um, you know, if you watch a movie and you think it's really bad, break it down and ask yourself why. Like, what was missing? What didn't work for you? I think that is something that that's a piece of advice that someone gave me um, about a year ago, and that actually have really really helped me become a better storyteller because when you start to actually analyze the, the stories that are constantly around you and, and figure out what works for you, you'll also end up understanding your own voice better.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's almost like re, reverse engineering a book or movie that you didn't like and say, hey, what was wrong with it versus finding a book or movie that you really like and finding out why it's you like it so much. It's almost attacking it from both sides to to find the, uh, the ultimate truth. That's really neat. That's great advice. I, I also want to just t- uh, just ask a sp- specific clarifying question. Let's say somebody wants to find a community of, you know, young adult um, writers or nonfiction writers. Is there any resources online or anything that you would recommend someone just check out if they want to meet people who are, you know, writing or, or doing things similar to them?
1: Yes, in particular for a young adult. Um, I, I would say in, in, for writing in general, Twitter has actually become really big and i would say check out different hashtags i think dv pit like i mentioned is actually a great hashtag you can follow a lot of people and kind of you know start interacting with that community there are also other um more organized communities so we need diverse books wndb they're great um and there are also um, there's there's a couple different resources i think that you can find there um Publishing Crawl is a blog that gives a lot of good content about writing, about publishing, um, and I think making relationships is probably going to be something that's going to take a little bit of time. But I started out in the community just through Twitter, and of course, like caveat, Twitter can also be a cesspool, so be a little careful. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, you know, finding different, finding the right hashtags, um, just. Interacting with your with your favorite authors, even they will sometimes point you in the direction of other writers who are up and coming. Um, but yeah, I would I would start out with DV Pit, especially if you're a um, you know up and coming South Asian writer. DV okay. Pit is great. Um, then there's a lot of offshoots like DV Squad. There's um, DV Deviants, I think is another one. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you can meet a lot of great people through that. And I think just just Reach out to someone on Twitter who you know says they love the same books as you, and, and strike up a conversation. And that's that's how I did it.
0: <laughs> Perfect. That's the playbook for success, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> DV anything. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Swathi. Thank you so much for, for being on. Do you have any final ask for the audience? Anything you'd like to lead them with before we uh, before we close?
1: Huh. Um. You know, I wanted to, one thing about the Tiger at Midnight that, um, I you know, you mentioned identity before, and it got me thinking about this. And one thing about the Tiger at Midnight that I think is really important, and I really tried to capture, and I hope, you know, the, you know, the readers who are South Asian are able to kind of see this um, and, and kind of understand this, is this idea of your duty versus who you are and your identity and who you want to be. Mm-hmm. And I would say my my characters, Kanal and Isha, they are they both kind of struggle with this idea of what duty is. And it ended up being something that reflected a bit of my own journey. And I think I've kind of touched upon that a little bit um, in some of my answers, in that a lot of times the limitations you put on yourself, like you mentioned, and I thought this was so on point, um, is, is very often in your head, you hold yourself back a bit. Right. And... You in, in my book you can kind of see that we, we all tell ourselves stories and um, sometimes it's important to step back and either bring someone else who'll give you perspective or, or challenge yourself about the stories you're telling yourself. And oftentimes it's it's about your potential and what you can do or what you can what or who you can be. And I think as South Asians sometimes we tend to be really harsh on ourselves. There's a very specific ideal, you know, that is laid out when you're young. And that's changing a lot now. Mm -hmm. And I would really just like to leave people with this idea that change your story. Um, And, you know, I think my characters, you know, kind of go through this. But um, and if you want to read the book and and see how, how they kind of deal with it, that's one thing. But my kind of piece of advice or all I want to say is, you know, challenge the story and challenge yourself. And and if you have a dream, go for it, because you you honestly really have nothing to lose
0: that is beautiful that is beautiful Swati thank you so 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 much man this interview is so cool chock full of so many things who people are interested in um, authorship and writing and even just getting past some of your limits and as you said the the limitations you put on yourself man that is uh, that is so cool um, where can people find you if people want to get in touch is Twitter um, the best place to get in touch or if where can people get in t- touch if they want to um, contact you
1: yeah so twitter is great i'm at swathi Thirdala. i'm also on instagram at the same handle swathi Thirdala. Okay. Um those so you know send me a dm or you can email me on my website which is again my first name my last name.com um but yeah twitter or instagram is probably the the best way and i really i try and respond to people as soon as i can
0: perfect okay we'll definitely link through that on our website um but thank you again swathi um for everyone listening Please read uh, The Tiger at Midnight. I know I'm definitely going to check it out. Can't wait to see this book and then the other two books. Uh, and so best of luck with everything, Swathi. Thanks again for being on South Asian Stories.
1: Thank you. This was great. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Great. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. It's Samir again. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.